Hello and welcome back to the Handstand Cast with me, Emmett Lewis, and my co-host, Mikael Christy Hansen. How are things going in Sweden? Um, about the same as last time you asked. I would have to argue. Um, One day. Yeah, back home from yeah. uh, my hometown, so pretty happy about that. Chilling. Um, trying to do something else than only folding paper. But it is hard. <laughs> no, actually, it's not hard because the last league of Path of Exile just dropped. So, sitting spamming that with uh, so yeah. So how about uh, yourself? Yeah, it's fucking same shit, different here at this stage. <laughs> Will it end? Will it not? Who knows? Uh, I don't know. 2021 is just continuing. It's twenty twenty <laughs> part one, not twenty twenty one. Uh, yeah, yeah. 2020, the two towers, to where we are. 2020, return of the king. <laughs> but the king is the Rona, and it's coming back. Uh, yeah, so we are here on the handstand cast to talk about handstands. And today we are probably not going to talk about handstands because we're going to talk about the thing you should be doing when you're not handstanding, resting. So we are going to talk about, yeah. Just rest. It comes up as a question a lot, I think, for us, either with our students or with ourselves and other stuff. And, you know, what is the right amount of rest? How much rest should I do? When do I rest? What do I rest between sets? All these kind of things. There's always a lot of questions about rest. So we'll hopefully be able to put them into a bit of context. And hopefully you can avoid our mistakes of not resting over the years and following Mm -hmm. that advice. Or maybe you should not rest. Who knows? So, yeah, rest. Do we need it? Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I mean, I think that. Uh, um, I mean, first, first of all, at, there is only a certain degree to which you can uh, try to overpower your own biology, um, and at certain point, uh, the production of uh, ATP uh, will start to matter. Um, uh, and I mean, all of these processes are really complicated, and I think that uh, even even kind of the best of like scientific and or anecdotal kind of um, experience with this are to be taken more as um, indicators and guidelines rather than like exactly strict protocols because everyone is different, and like what kind of practice and intensity that you're at, it will also um impacted a lot i think yeah definitely i think in terms of rest we have to kind of there's there is different types of rest and different things needed i think if we just talk about say during your workout first in between sets and then we'll move on to kind of between days and other stuff like that i think so when you're working out when you're doing i'm doing my handstand training I have to start thinking about rest in terms of what am I actually trying to achieve in the sets and the sets, what will be coming afterwards. So let's just say we'll do a very simplified handstand session just to talk about this. We have, say, our warm-up kind of stuff. We can ignore that for a moment. Then we have our technical training. We're working on developing skills, alignment, precision, all these things. And then we have, say, conditioning, where we're trying to work on our inherent physical capacities and raise them. And uh, we should have an idea of, I suppose, two different rest periods in this training. One of them, because we're working on precision, we need to be as technically fresh as possible. But there is this kind of crossover, particularly when you start getting to higher level skills where your, your strength is also part and parcel of that technical precision. So your technical line is almost close to your strength line. And mm. your sets might be your sets might be lasting. Now this is the kind of thing where the set might last a minute, but the time working on the technical precise drill might only be 10 to 15 seconds of that minute. So in some ways we have to think, okay, we go we're doing minute long set, but we are doing weight shifts or something or we're just trying to move from a tuck to a closed tuck for beginners, these kind of things. So in these kind of technical precise setups and ones that are working close to our technical strength limit, you need to be approaching them fresh. And fresh is kind of, 
an interesting it's concept very, here. It's, it's very subjective what fresh is. Yeah, sure. yeah, it's kind of interesting because we we have a we have three kind of things I always think about in this is we have physical refreshness that the body is ready to go and make a physical effort or feels like it. We have the nervous system refreshness where the nervous system is actually fresh to actually coordinate itself in this direction, and we have the mental freshness where we're actually able to refocus ourselves to the task at hand and actually mm. make a good effort so these kind of things line up and a lot of the time it's like if we're to look at like the pure sports science side of things on this if we go by say strength training we we'll just use our strength training in these kind of same zones the physical reduction of metabolites and other stuff happens in about 60 to 90 seconds the nervous system takes about five to six times longer. So this is where you will see things when like doing really heavy sets or really precise stuff that you should be resting longer, much longer, three to five minutes is kind of recommendations there. But then the mental freshness is kind of an interesting one because that kind of can peak and wane over that. And there's almost like a wave. These things kind of follow a wave where it's like you could be mentally ready to go, physically ready to go, but the strength is not there. And there's kind of the frustration line has to be ridden along that as well as the distraction mm -hmm. line. So it's kind of an interesting topic, I think. Yeah. I think the, um, I, what I find fascinating is the, uh, I mean, the crossover between these kind of types of fatigue that you speak about, uh, because obviously one will affect the other and all of that. But um, I'm sure that many of those of you that are listening will be, able to relate to, for example, you come in and you're, you're just mentally very off and like you feel very foggy in your head, but somehow things work out when you try or, um, uh, you feel that like you're, you're physically quite fatigued. Like even like in, you're in the end of your session and you kind of burn through a lot of energy, but still you're able to just keep yourself going and going and going. And like, you're just like, Hey, but shouldn't I be t like, shouldn't I just be caving in right now? But still you're just able to to keep it up um and like on the other side as well that like you um you you might you might be you might feel that like your body just has like a lot of oomph and you think that you're going to do great but just just your your nervous system either isn't like you just don't coordinate well or you don't you're not able to to focus for long enough during your session and so on uh, and i think that is that is where it's kind of difficult to to juggle all of these factors uh, since skill work requires you to work on the skill at least to some degree to get benefit from it. Whereas let's say you're just, you're just a bit off and you come in and you lift some weights. Well, you can put on a little bit lower um, than you would prefer, but at least you could, you could finish the workout more or less as planned. Mm. This can be kind of tricky when it comes to, uh, a technical disciplines like this. And I mean, of course, if you are working with any kind of disciplines that involve danger, handstands rarely do, but it can. And if you are working on any kind of stuff that could lead to you getting injured, and that, that might even be for like a very beginner who wants to learn to kick up in free space and they're not sure about falling over and they might, they might feel safe and com competent at doing that when they're fresh, but if they're a bit off, they can actually hurt themselves. Like, this is also kind of a consideration when when you don't just don't have the focus and kind of the the reaction ability. And I do think that that kind of nervous system thing is um, is very relevant when it comes to hand balancing because if you if you don't react fast enough, uh, it is like if you re react like a millisecond or two later than you ideally should have, the correction that you will need to make will be larger. Hence, you'll spend more energy and you'll drain yourself faster and all. And it kind of becomes, um, um, it becomes kind of a cascading effect on it. So making sure that like, regardless of what shape you're in, that you're, uh, that you maximize the odds for being able to, to pull off the things that you're trying to do through a session does require quite good, uh, either planning or an intuitive sense of, uh, when you have, the physical and kind of mental readiness for for going for the exact skill that you are working on yeah there's definitely that and it's kind of it's yeah it's one of these things i find people 
will build intuitively, but there is there is times when like I don't know, when I'm coaching classes or people in person, you see how they're training and there's a certain pace that can keep people focused where you're working out on. I'm not saying you up the pace, you could need to decrease the pace. Because you generally I'd say there are generally two sides of this. There's people who rest too much between technical sets and there's people who rest too little. Mm. And there's kind of you do have to try both of these styles out, like, and find out what works for you and see, like, oh, can I, you know, one thing I will tell people to do is, you know, get a stopwatch rolling and actually time your rest periods exactly and see how you do that and see if that mm-hmm. works and go, okay, I will stick to these very set rest periods so I don't, you know, it's the, because handstands and they're kind of sitting down, we all have our phones and, you know, people tend to fuck around their phone and get a bit distracted and then the rest period that you wanted to plan would start creeping over and creeping over and your workout is suddenly getting longer and longer Mm. because we can think of say concentration as a finite resource concentration is a finite resource that you have the micro and the intro set concentration refresh period but then you have the total workout concentration refresh that just kind of burns through the amount you can concentrate to the end of the workout. Mm. So that's reducing, and that's just reducing per unit time. So if your workout is extending past your concentration limit, then suddenly, even when you get to your last sets, even if you are physically still fresh because you're resting a lot, you probably burnt out your total amount of concentration you can spend in that time period. So Mm. there's kind of a, it's almost a durational effort. It's like you can concentrate, you have the ability to concentrate for 40 minutes. Let's just pull some numbers out of my ass here. And after 40 minutes, even if you're physically fresh and rested, things will just start going to shit. Now, mm. concentration can be trained. It is perfectly capable to con- train yourself to concentrate better. It comes with practice. But then it's this idea of like, how much how much rest can I get to get my technical stuff done to the point where like, okay, it is done to the point where I'm resting and then I still have either my conditioning sets, which by kind of definition should be less technical at the end of the workout. And that can be uh, done with exercises that require less concentration. Now, this is going mm. to be obviously going to be relative to your skill level. What Mikhail takes to concentrate is going to be much less than a beginner. So mm. we have this idea of like, okay, we don't want to burn through our concentration by over-resting. But at the same time, we have to give sufficient rest for us to do the more technical things that will also suck up the concentration. Yeah. Like it, um, what you said there, ring the bell, or in, in a sense, it's like I do think that there's very often um, you can separate people into two sort of categories with this. Uh, and, and it's not only about, about rest, but it's also just about the um, general sense that they perhaps uh, like to go at or like to think at. Like some, some really want to have a plan, like. They have a plan week to week. They have like uh, numbers that they like to um, refer to and that helps them. And then you have the people that ever like kind of have an aversion to to having a fixed kind <laughs> of numbers routine to uh, to relate to and rather just want to go at their own pace and kind of freestyle and take it intuitively. Um, and uh I mean, I I'm, I won't won't say that there is a direct correlation between that and how people uh, tend to do the rest, but I do definitely think that there is, like, and I think with inexperienced people, there is a higher de- higher degree of, or you see it more often with people resting less. They're like they try a tuck jump like seven times in a row, and it didn't work on the three first, and somehow the idea is that okay, I just need to keep trying to do the motion over and over. Yeah, and while fatiguing more and more for per time you try, and by the end you've probably within a short period of time tried to do like thirty three tuck jumps and you managed to catch three of them. Uh, whereas if you spaced it out more, perhaps you caught much more of them because you you had a higher degree of readiness spread more more out over the things that you do. So I think that there is. There's certainly something there. And for those who have a tendency to rest too little, the move is quite simple. It is like you gear back on the um, on the excitement, which often <laughs> is the driving force of it or whatever else it is, and just 
give it a bit more time in between, uh, learn to feel how your body or like sense how your body feels. Yeah. And for the other version, uh, where it's like too long, I mean, I, too, too long. I think it, it, it can happen to me actually, where I'm like, if I do sessions and I'm kind of just like slowly trudging through a couple of things and then I just tend to like or procrastinate or whatever, or if it's not going particularly well and I lose interest, it, it, it might happen. <laughs> Uh, just like, okay, whatever, what, what should I do now? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, you fiddle around a bit and then you finish up for example, but, uh, yeah, being able to, to just find this balance between, uh, like using the energy that you have in your energy pool effectively. Uh, but you can't like, you can't have, um, you can't have that drag on too long either because then your energy and concentration and caffeine will be slowly just dredged out of your system without you actually doing anything with it. Yeah, you touched on something. I just want to segue slightly back to something you touched on there because I forgot to conclude in our notes. Uh, rest between just literal repetitions is an interesting one in handstand training as well mm. because it's kind of one of these things where it was like, oh, we might have setups like kickups, tugups. Entries are very interesting one because it's when you're good at them and precise, it's quite easy just to bash out 20 kickups. It's just like, okay, yeah. I'm very efficient at the movement. I can just do it. Everyone just missed that. Miguel just knocked his mic over. Anyone who's watching that? No, it actually just in? fell down by itself. I don't uh-huh. think I even touched it. I'm kind of watching yeah. the screen and uh, I've been waiting for you to knock your lamp off because you keep stretching up, but it hasn't fallen down. Yet. No, but I, I'm not going to knock, knock my lamp over more than once. Rage. <laughs> anyway, if you were on the live queue, I might, I might remember that. Uh, where were we? Yeah, so yeah, the rest between setups is kind of an interesting thing of uh, resting between reps, particularly when you're learning something new and you have to get the reps in. And you're not just bashing them out mindlessly, but you have to get your technical precision and setup right to allow the rep happen. But at the same time, you have to not rest too long to start overthinking the movement. It's always this kind of thing I want people to cue in is like Mm. have one or two details to think about when you're learning a new movement and not all of them. And the rest will kind of, you can add in the extra details as you lock one of them into place. But what kind of happens, you know, is people start developing a checklist and the checklist starts getting longer. So if I was doing kickups and then, suddenly I'm taking instead of five seconds between reps just to get reset, it could be 30 or 40 seconds. This is a very different workout and a very different mental headspace to be in. So you kind of have to ride this line of like, I'm between reps. And this can even go on shape change as well. Like if you're going, say, straddle the straight or straddle the tuck or something, like if you're pausing in one of the movements too long or not getting on with it in some ways, it can actually just throw you off because you'll just go, oh, you're you're almost waiting for that perfect moment to happen rather mm. than just doing it and letting the kind of catches happen at either end of the balance. Yeah. So it's always interesting to think about like in terms of, oh, I'm doing reps. Oh, I'm doing reps in my program. Oh, mm. you know, that's the same with like, even when say, I don't know, someone's learning to say a straddle range of motion press on the thing, they're going up and down. And they fall out on one rep, they go a bit too far, but they still got energy and they'll jump back up. And, uh, but then they yeah immediately jump back up and that's the time when you see people go uh a bit too too fast and not take a a brief moment five six seconds just to reset and Mm. recenter yourself so that's kind of an interesting yeah it's i I think i think this is very common it's like particularly i think this is a it's it's quite useless for strength movements uh it's like oh i didn't manage my planche i'm just gonna try to planche again i think the only thing that they made that or like on average, the only thing that made you fail planche was just you weren't able to exert enough force in the in the correct direction. So, uh, is the li- is it likely that you'll be able to do that a second after you just failed? Unlikely. I mean, it's just taking some time there, uh, and sometimes just yeah, readying joints and all these things can have make a huge difference on this. Like I for for me, I think that the number one movement that I know that will never ever work on the second try if I fail the first is flares from breakdancing. Like if I, if I throw a flare and it's bad and I'm going to go for another, it's not going to work. And I remember like years ago when I used to train breaking in, in Oslo, this would always be the case with the other guys too. Like they would mess up one flare they'll go back to the top rock and they're going to go for it again. And I'm just like, 
okay, here comes another failed attempt. And he throws a flare and it just doesn't work. <laughs> so rare that you're able to get it going on the second try because you just you need to get the kind of mental static out of your um, out of your system. So um, it's, yeah, and like, like you said, I, th- I think that maybe people that rest too much um, or... Like it, I think there's a correlation, like you said, with like you, if you film yourself a lot, then you kind of analyze a lot. And if there is a constant kind of um, like the overthinking of things, I think is very uh, or can at least correlate with this. Uh, and that's definitely something that uh, doesn't help. Like you just said, like have a couple of things to focus on and focus on those. Get yeah. good at focusing on them. Then it becomes intuitive. Then start focusing on something else. Uh, trying to do all all at the same time and an early level is just basically a recipe for not getting too much done. But but I think I think that uh, when it comes to yeah, just keeping the the general freshness, it's it is very valuable to just do 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 the move motion several times in a row. Don't think about it. Just do it and and trust the fact that like your body is learning it's yeah. it's in most of the cases it's not about your brain figuring this out it isn't it's about bo- your body learning it like if and the the analogy to guitar perfect like you 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 need to find like your brain needs to look at the thing and understand okay this is the way the fingers hold the grip to do it uh and when that is that is solid, okay, then you practice it a lot, and then okay, fingers from there to there, and so on and so on and so on. And by the time that like your brain, like the time you have the understanding, doesn't take that long. And then it's the physical practice and thinking and thinking for each each finger movement isn't going to to bring you very far. And um, like it 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 brings me. It's kind of a tangent, but um, reminds <laughs> me of it. the. Um, like the book I've been like I've read through part of the book several times after I read it, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, where he discusses in these kind of kind of two mental states: the intuitive state, which he calls the system one, and the more kind of thought through and thorough system two. Yeah. And long story short, essentially, like being in that state where you're in constant analysis and constant intense focus as if you're solving a complicated mathematical problem that's on the limit of your ability it it, it takes a lot of it, it like your your bo- your brain burns through a lot of glucose doing that yeah compared to being in the state where it's doing intuitive things so i think that like a key to kind of that uh to skill learning is allowing your brain to be in like to fluctuate between these two levels. But when you're practicing, you're trying to be in system one, you stand on your feet, you look at the floor. Okay. And I'm going to tuck up. Okay, I'm going to put my hands here. Uh, and as you put your hands on the floor, you, you have thought through before what you need to do. You need to attempt to execute. And then you ex- try attempt to execute many times in a row and allowing your body and your brain to have the space to to process that information because it's uh, I think it's kind of frustrating with the concept that it is all about some sort of mental uh, mapping out understanding that you do on on kind of a theoretical level because it's the application is needs to happen through through repetitions because that is just how the nervous system is built yeah yeah it's always one of these things just to kind of touch up on this is uh I tell people you have to train so much that you only make one mistake and then you can correct it mm-hmm. on, until the point where like your every single rep is different. In some ways you just get completely overanalyzed. You'd be like, say, let's say you're flagging and you're learning to flag just to sell it for one arm and you put the hips at a diagonal angle and rep one, you're twisted. The leg is coming over the top. Rep two, your shoulder goes too open. You twist from that one. Rep three, your shoulder goes sideways. So every single rep is different. So if you were to analyze it, you'd be looking going like, oh, every rep is different. So there's nothing to grasp onto and go, I must correct this. Whereas if you just practice this enough, eventually you get to the point where it's like, oh, I'm twisting because my leg is coming over the top and my back is arching. So then I can just Mm. focus on one cue and one thing rather than filming. Yeah, once again, filming every set can be unproductive and then going, I must analyze everything. Can be productive at certain stages but you know, there is kind of there's this conceptual understanding stage and then there's the implementation stage they're two different stages and once you understand mm. like once i understand the movement you know 
you just have to kind of basically bash out and get this alignment between your mental understanding and the actual physical like at the end of the day when you mentally learn a movement you're dealing with a projection you actually can't do it so you don't know what the sensations are you don't know what's going to be going on mm. you don't know how it feel you don't know what will happen when you actually try to do it you understand a textbook case of something but you don't understand the 10,000 variations of it that are mm. right and wrong so until you get to that stage of like oh i've done it this amount of time then you can start get this alignment between what my original mental fantasy and projection was what the mental reality of doing the movement is and mm. thing it's like that the classic one of like oh, people watch someone who's really advanced at doing anything in circus like oh my god that must feel so graceful and you must be amazing to be suspended in the air and they're kind of having some weird particularly with ariel some fantasy mm. where like oh you must be floating around in clouds and you know oh it must feel so free and then reality of burial is like the cord lease is cutting off the blood supply to my ankle but i'm smiling long enough to pull my leg to my head <laughs> which is hurting my back and my shoulder is a bit jank from last week of training but i still gotta make this look good and mm. you know at the end of the day it's like oh you know these kind of things and it's like it's there's the reality of it going on versus what you think and mm. uh, that takes yeah, a while and then, it's an interesting word choice there projection because that is exactly what it is you create some sort of like hologram of what of how this thing feels and it's very rarely um similar to the idea of it at least until you're really fucking good yeah like when you're really good and you do something of course then it's effortless like if someone is really good at a one arm just does a straddle one arm it's just okay you put the weight over then you push your shoulder and then you just stay there and that's it that's it like then like some things happen and you still stay there because you can fix it. Um, but until you get to that stage, there's going to be like, there's going to be like death face attack kind of feelings in it. And um, yeah, I think, I think ultimately when it comes to rest um, when in a session, it's all about that uh, facilitating as best as you can uh, with the time and the energy you have at hand for, allowing a uh, learn like allowing yourself to be in a learning state uh, as much as possible and i think that a learning state requires like a like a fresh forearms reasonably fresh shoulders concentration uh, and um yeah th those are main, like the main things like you don't even need to be in a good mood to be in a good learning state some of the best uh, periods of my handstands have been kind of just things haven't been great, but hey, handstands are great at the moment. <laughs> uh, so it's yeah, making sure that you, to the best of your abilities, can do that. Yeah, but I guess there's also the thing then of if we move from a session to just like the practice on kind of a longer scale actually of... i have one thing to go back to before we move out to practice session okay sure yeah so fire. rest periods between conditioning sets mm. oh uh, yeah that, that's a big one yeah this is a kind of interesting one because when we're in our conditioning sets hopefully you know when you're a beginner new to this it's going to be obviously a bit harder and a bit different and everything is kind of conditioning but when you're kind of a bit more advanced and you're past that stage then exercises where you've chosen okay i'll work on my conditioning now this can be very different for each person. It could be, I will work on straddle one arm for 30 seconds if you're advanced, or it could be, okay, I can do tuck and straddle handstands, but I'll go back to the wall and do chest wall holds, something like that. So there's a range of things here, but there's one thing to consider is like when you're trying to build conditioning and build capacity, you are trying to apply a physical stressor to the body and you're trying to go like, I'm stressing basically the tissue what it comes down to and I'm trying to elicit a response from this and i think in this one this is where we we want almost incomplete rest periods to a certain degree you want like okay say i'm doing toes on wall tuck holds uh, my first set is 40 seconds i want to rest to the point where i actually get an almost 10 percent, 10 15 drop off on the next set and this will kind of go so i'll say as my program is three by 45 seconds toes the wall and then I might rest 60 seconds or 70 seconds. I'll go up and then the first set might be 45 seconds and the next set might be 40 seconds and the set after that might be 38 seconds. And this is kind of what we're looking for. It means we're like getting a burn. We're getting a pump on. We're getting the muscles taxed and we're fatiguing them and hopefully they will surcompensate. 
And this is where kind of this is where in some places we can apply linear progression to our handstands, where it's like okay, I have a set phase of the program where it's like I will rest this, I'll do it precise as possible, I build fatigue, and then set three by the end of like doing this for four or five weeks, set three now might be up to forty five seconds, and then now we can go okay, we'll try and hold our tuck for sixty seconds, and we'll something like that. So we can have a kind of it's almost a two gear workout where like one we have one where there's a bit of freedom on the rest periods to kind of get this alignment between focus technical precision recovery what we're looking for and then the other ones were just like okay it's time to do a bit of smashing it's a bit mindless i'll just you mm. know get the reps in so yeah, yeah it's the same like it's different things for different workouts like it is you know oh i'm working on my pressing today but i'm doing a drill i can complete quite easily but it's still a pretty heavy Oh, I'm doing L-sit to tuck planche, example, something classic for the stalder. Well, then, you know, I can still do the drill. It's quite easy, and the reps start going down. So you can start going, I will stop the set when my technical execution of the rep starts to fade within whatever parameter is chosen. And then I can rest, like, classic strength training rest periods can apply here. I'm doing three to five reps. I will rest two to three minutes between sets, just like I would between a set of squats or something like this. Then I can go back. Then my reps might drop by one or two. But then over the course of the workout, we're looking to increase reps. So we'll know over the course of the the training phase, more so we're looking to increase total reps done or have this kind of linear increase. And this is where, you know, as I said, you can satisfy that precision to follow correct rest periods in this phase. We're just like, I will stick to a clock. You know, you Mm. could have two to one rest periods would be interesting. I remember in talking to one of the physios in circus school james who i think is performance health i can't remember what his name of his company is off the top of my head but his one was recommending using your heart rate he was recommended as a general recommendation to circus when you're doing your circus training sessions for your heart rate to drop back to 120 130 before you go again so depending on what your discipline and that could be it could be slightly lower with handstands let's face it it's slightly less taxing on the cardiovascular system but it could be an interesting way to track it's like oh you know how do we do it oh my rest period heart rate has dropped okay cool back in go again uh will it work for you will it not don't know but you can try it if you have one of these fancy watches that uh tells you your heart rate mm. but yeah so that's kind of one of the ones that uh one of my other clients, actually, he gave me this one. He was taking a bit long on his workout, so he was like, he just set up this. He had to be fast as well. He's got a new baby. And he uh, set up his gym boss timer on his phone. So then when he sets the timer running, it's an interval timer, and he was doing sets of, uh, whatever, say 30 seconds. So he'd have 30 seconds on, one minute off, and he'd set up his 10 or 15 sets at the end of the workout was conditioning, and he'd just stick that timer and then he said the good thing about the timer was because it was on his phone and it takes up the whole screen on your phone when it's running, uh, you can't get distracted and start stoning, scrolling Instagram and doing too long or messing around or checking videos. You just have to go for it. Mm-hmm. So this is a very useful way, I think. I thought it was kind of interesting. Just you could, you know, When you're doing less technical sessions, you could program them in like that. Yeah. Put your phone up and then you just don't, let's face it, you're just not fucking around TikTok or the gram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's definitely good to find some uh, methods if uh, if one struggles with that. Uh, but yeah, like I suppose it's time to move over to the kind of resting uh, days, resting weeks, uh, deloads, all resting that years. Kind of... I tried a few of them once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's um, it's a tricky one. We've we've discussed that um, at least in partial length before. Uh, and I mentioned that to me, like it's, uh, I'm rare, very rarely, uh, even close to my normal in terms of, uh, strength and just general control after I've had the day fully off. Um, and it, it mainly applies to just handstands related stuff. Uh, the more complicated it is, the harder it becomes to execute after the, the, the days where I've rested, um, of course, it's it's important, and this will you will have people that feel much better after they rest as well, which makes sense. I mean, you ideally want to recover your both your nervous system and your your muscles and so on, and also just being able to think about other things is healthy for a human being. So, 
Is it you're speaking it's, hand balancers here? Maybe it is not hmm? healthy. Yeah. <laughs> don't interact yeah. with the normies. Don't interact with people who don't handstand. Yeah, that's that's how it becomes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it's just like taking. I mean, taking a couple of days off a week is in general a good idea. Uh, like because you you need to look upon it from kind of a, a longer perspective as well that you you are putting a lot of strain on your body and you want to make sure that there is at least some possibility for your body to achieve a, a complete recovery uh, or up to some degree during a week of, of training so that you just don't end up running yourself into the ground and doing way too much because it, it is very easy to do that with these kind of um, practices that are fun and interesting to do that like you get you get excited you want to put a lot into it and then you do and eventually boom you did too much and ow my wrist sucks or my this sucks or my that sucks and yeah. you kind of just keep trying to solve it by keeping doing exactly as much as you have and it's it's rarely a fix yeah it's definitely one of these things of rest days it's how many days of rest a person needs a week is very variable it's one of those things i've kind of discovered there's always this kind of this glorification of working too hard almost where it's just like oh you're not training twice a day and the normal stuff and like predicting hand balance are kind of maybe from movement culture a bit as well it's like you must be training eight hours a day and all this and it's like well yes you could but a lot of people slowly the thing is a lot of the fatigue and the other stuff we generate in this type of training it's not acute fatigue, it's chronic. It kind of builds up slowly and then eventually something goes. And it's kind of riding the fatigue line is happens to a lot of people. And yeah, then it kind of, that's when the bad things happen. That's when the actual long-term injuries kind of happen. It's like, oh, I kind of pushed my, I don't know, I pushed my tendons to the limit too far for too long and now they're chronically inflamed and I have to deal with it. Mm. so it's this kind of thing of like learning to back off and take the foot off the gas both during the week you know say even five days of training a week is sufficient for most people this means i don't know you could group your two days at the weekend and get a long rest or you could uh i don't know put your day you know on a wednesday or on a thursday monday wednesday mm. work work out do your training Thursday off, fresh back up, Friday, Saturday training. These kind of things are options. You know, it could be take Friday off and then because you know you're going to have some time at the weekend and have a longer session then. You know, these kind of rest periods are good and it's good to find like what works for you and what happens mm. as well. And it's kind of like... And, make, sorry. No, no, I just thought that like there's there's also one thing that I think is, is quite invaluable Uh in in all of this too and that is just uh not like because the issue with hand balancing and i've run into this many times uh myself and with others and that is that like you you are doing very monotonous work and you're you're expecting your body to be able to do kind of at least like a type of work that requires at least some strength um almost or like many days a week so uh, adjusting that so that you don't do an enormous amount. I mean, intensity, frequency, volume, you want to have your in- intensity of technique high and you want to have your frequency high. Well, like you, you're you not well off doing loads of volume then. It's just, it's a very, it's a very simple equation and one that, again, can be difficult to, to handle. Again, because you're interested, you're excited and you want to train. And you want to be in that zone where you practice, and then, uh, but uh, like making sure that you don't make them too long, making sure that like you don't, like okay, you know that you can do a tuck one arm. Well, do two tuck one arms then instead of like seven, <laughs> uh, just so that you you're you're not just putting way too much stress um, onto the system through the week. So it's 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 a simple thing to think about if you're noticing that like you're you're still doing you're able to do as many sessions as you have been but like your quality is deteriorated or you're it's hard to make progress etc. It might be a thing to just think about. Okay, you maybe do two day, day or like one or two sessions a week with more volume, and then like 
three or so where you where you do less. And like when I look back at like one of the best phases of training that I've ever had when I lived in Copenhagen a few years ago, I would have like one really hard workout a week and the others would be much more kind of chill. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of one of those interesting ones if you get into planning a training week for someone as well. It's mm. kind of, you know, say, I'll, I don't know, use you as an example because you're kind of an interesting one. So he has a rest day and comes back to training. Day one, Mikael is going to be off as he has stated before. So he has to just work on kind of lower tier stuff but get back into it. Day two, smash day, as we've seen before. Go for it. Day three, drink coffee and throw things around the place day. <laughs> Uh, things are off but it's kind of that thing of like oh end of the week it's like oh cool cool i'll do my heavy strength stuff then but then i'm rested and then i've got another five days before i do it again Mm. so it's kind of this idea of like yeah yeah understanding yourself and understanding how much rest you need between different types of sessions there's always this kind of it's the thing that almost gets glorified the seven day week in some ways as well that yeah. is like, okay, everything has to happen on seven days, on a seven-day schedule, and I must do these things on it. But you could find out that, like, I don't know, uh, squat it, like, it's easy to use strength training as an example, but squatting twice a week is just not going to work for you, but once a week is good, and deadlifting once every two weeks, heavy deadlifting is kind of what works for you, and then you just do accessory exercise on between these sessions. This is the kind of thing that works. The same thing with handstands. It's like, oh, particularly, particularly when it gets more advanced, it could be like, oh, heavy flag days just take it out of me too much that if I try to do them too often, I'll just end up like just doing nothing productive. Mm. So it's this kind of thing, like, okay, well, can I find a rhythm and a rest between the repeats of the sessions that I want to try that suits and suits a cadence that I'm still training, I'm still recovering, but at the end of the day, it's not all out every single time. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that like with handstand related training, I do think I, or I do really think that like this thing of leaving a few reps in the bank is is on average the better option because what tends to happen is that people train too often for that kind of go all out thing, having enough recovery. Um, and it's interesting. I noticed that myself like here uh, a few weeks back too when like, like after my shoulder injury started getting better and like like I started feeling, oh shit, I can actually do a lot of stuff again. And I think I pushed a bit too hard um, because like I was suddenly able to, but then like you are suddenly going into like your, or you do need quite a lot of recovery. Uh, and then you really need to facilitate also for that recovery. And as I just, yeah, it's it's tricky to to find the time for that when you know that you, have a tendency to either get pulled into it too often or you plan to train for many days a week. So uh, I do think it's, um, it's yeah, just on average that it is a, a better option to uh, to keep a little bit of, of energy in it, particularly if, if you're, if you're training several, like many days a week at it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the things I'd like to actually say uh just a kind of general comment because it's come up a, a decent bit over a few years, is on rest days, particularly if you're into tracking your nutrition and stuff, do not recre- decrease your calories. This is mm. a classic mistake. People go, oh, I should eat a bit less on rest days. Particularly if you're keeping on training, make sure you just eat the same or possibly even a bit more so there's a bit of fuel to fuel that recovery. Uh, that's just a general comment there. It's kind of... If you're doing the specific times when you can break these rules, but as a general rule at home, it's a pretty good idea. Yeah, uh, probably. The other one I'd like to touch on, actually, is uh, the no season. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a term I got from Juji Mufu. I think he's got mm-hmm. an article on his acrobatic site or somewhere called the no season, where we have, in sports training, we have the on-season where you're playing your sport against actively in a competitive manner. We have the off-season where you are doing training to increase your whatever speed strength gameplay other stuff now we don't really have these seasons in hand balance you do a bit in circus school because we have show prep times and then we have training times so you would get Mm. that a bit in circus but it's kind of unless you've got a regular show schedule and other stuff it can be a bit 
Yeah, it's hard to mimic otherwise. Yeah, it's hard to be exactly, but it's hard to mimic. And yeah, then we have Juju's concept of the no season where you do nothing, where you don't train at all. Mm. And one of the things on this is interesting because I actually tried this out and it extended a bit longer. So I had it forced upon me actually from uh, when I broke my wrist and I was like, okay, you just can't train upper body for quite some time. Mm. And it was kind of interesting that, uh, you know, it, well, it was almost a fucking, how long was it? Almost three year break, I think, from training properly. So, uh, but the first kind of thing I did notice from this kind of thing was like all those weird little niggling injuries that I won't even say injuries, but just things are uh, just started going away. They're just all gone and they don't, none of them really bother me. All these kind of things I had running from circus school and these kind of performance days was just like that you kind of build up, but you're like, oh, you know, it's hard to say, is it a thing? But it's uh, an area of sensitization where you're just like, hmm, that flares up occasionally depending on how inflamed you are. So they all had a chance to go. The other thing I kind of found quite interesting was like when I came back, things were better. It's one of these things, I've done this recently with juggling as well, where I haven't done any real juggling for quite some time. And mm. there was a glory day when we were able to go back to one of the juggling meetups in Dublin and go. And suddenly I was better. And this is a very subjective thing because if I was tracking quantities endurance, it was terrible. But in terms of like replicating stuff, I was like seven rings was there. I had a crack at nine balls, all these kind of things that were quite high level. But I can mm. still do them. So I think there's... And I could do them, and they felt easy. And subjectively, they were still a bit shit. The accuracy was slightly off, but in terms of the actual physical demand and actually moving the hands at the right speed, mm. it was there. I had the same yeah. thing with handstands. Like when I came back to handstands after when I finally got my wrist back to order, I was living in Dublin at the time. I kind of my wrist was only hurting a small amount, and I was like, okay, I'm going to prove to myself that my wrist is better, and I'm going to get my one arm handstand back. That was my main motivator to get it. So it's just like going in training. Six days a week, sometimes twice a day to get the hand. One arm uh, you know, this uh, many years ago that I would probably not recommend to do that, but you know, say Levy. So I went in, and it was just like things were better. Like it's one of these things that there's a theory on it that the nervous system prunes itself, and the things that got myelinated stronger, which are your better patterns if you've done your training mm. properly, they remain. So it's like you trim all the shit branches off the nervous system tree. And only the good branches remain because they've been the ones that have been reinforced the, the most. Yeah. And then this kind of thing is like, oh, things are easier. Things are more precise. And it's very interesting because it's also been noted on, I might have been Veroshansky or Tudor Bumpa. I can't remember. I'm pulling this off the top of my head. But he was talking about like his long term track and field athletes. Uh, some of them would get pregnant to the women. Uh, they would uh, go off and have their baby and then you know they'd have recovery time be out for a year and if they were very precise with their training they'd be charting it and plotting it but then they'd find suddenly the graph would go logarithmic it would start mm. getting a curve on it instead of linear and there was some kind of the theory was that like long-term training effect and adaptation of the more passive tissues in the body takes longer than we think and uh, this is one of those things where it's like Oh, if you take these times off, now Mikhail's probably never done this, so we're going to make Mikhail take a month <laughs> off. But when you come back, it will not be good to start with. But when you go, you'll find that something else has happened a lot of times. Something has gotten more precise. It's a very interesting thing. It's a. Most yeah, people, I, th sorry, I think this is like a, a common occurrence within many, many things that like you just haven't done. Like you had a short. A period of intense burst practice and then you just let it stay be for quite a while and you come back and say, oh hey it's actually working and uh, that's that's also the tricky thing with this that like we need the physical development um uh for it at the same yeah. time as we we do need to to kind of juggle all these uh uh components in terms of like how much we do and that we have a continuous practice but then like I think at least like the, the the thing to to know is that like it's not dangerous to take time off and you will very likely feel a bit off if you have for a while but like this is like your body hasn't forgotten uh, and it yeah. it comes back rather quickly even though you might need to rebuild a little bit of strength and so on so uh, <laughs> there there's certainly quite a lot uh, to 
to that fact of like, yeah, like I said, it's, it's also about like your brain is processing the information and it doesn't need the kind of conscious you to micromanage on it. Like yeah. you are not needed <laughs> basically. <laughs> You're superfluous to needs. Yeah. It's kind of interesting as well. It's, it's to gain a physical skill and a strength level. The first time is the hard time. After that, it gets easier and easier. Even if you put things away, there's so many cases of people, you know, Oh, took time off my main sport or stopped weightlifting and then suddenly come back and three months later they're back to normal or about even beyond. Mm. So there is kind of a possibly a longer term rest period that you could take the no season for two or three months and mm. reap the benefits. But uh, yeah, it's kind of one of these things that's all interesting. I think we kind of touch on a lot of the rest periods, all of them from between reps all the way up to between lifetimes. We haven't done yeah. reincarnation <laughs> yet, but uh, we'll save that one. Uh, so, as normal, I think we're going to move on to a couple of questions. We have a call-in question first from Tobias. So, let's hear that. Hi, um, Tobias here from Denmark. I'd like to ask, what do you usually do in your breaks while training? Because I usually just pick up my phone and go on social media. And I, that sometimes gives too long breaks where I know I should have started early on this set. Um, is there a semi-productive way to use the breaks or anything like that you'd recommend? Hmm. I mean, you can stretch a bit uh, yeah. or like, Something that I've been doing, like actually quite a lot lately, is just don't bring your phone to train. That's nice, yeah. um, because like yeah, it's it becomes enough phone fiddling anyway, and uh, sometimes it's not nice to just not use it. Um, but yeah, stretching is fine. But like again, you're you're like what what you want to do? You want to ensure that your brain can rest. You want to like refer back to the the book that I was talking about before in this episode, the thinking fast and slow and these two types of mental states, you want to make sure that when you rest, you are in that system one state where it's intuitive and you're, you're not focusing. So like if you, if you stress yourself about being like quote unquote productive for each and every second, you will be stressing about being productive enough. So I'd say just like, um, don't don't try too hard in that sense and allow yourself to drift a bit if if that's what's needed but yeah don't don't let it don't let it take over and if you feel that like the phone is like a, a fact, too large factor of that like leave it out of the room for example yeah or, or a- use one of those apps that basically like kick you out of of the various social media apps when you've used them for too long in a day <laughs> Yeah, share it to cold turkey. I have that on my computer to stop me scrolling on internet and actually get through <laughs> programs because I have so much work to do nowadays. Uh, yeah, where are we going? But yeah, leaving the phone out is a good one. The gym boss timer idea of just turn your phone into something useful is a good idea. Mm. Uh, Bluetooth headset, so you just can control your music without having to worry about looking at the phone. Uh, gym bag, you know, sometimes I just throw my phone into my gym bag. What will have a lot of equipment? Just it make it difficult to get basically mm. is one option but yeah social media is like that's the that's the the bastard for all these things of uh yeah it's like crack cracking shit picture form and memes anyway uh and our next question if i had it on my screen it would be handy ah I'd like to hear your perspectives and thought on handstands and longevity. What are some of the long-term benefits, negatives? How can we keep hand balancing to an old age? What are some of the oldest hand balancers you've seen? Mm, I mean, benefits, you get good at standing on your hands. You keep your physique in decent shape. Um, Have fun with that. Bad things. You can wreck your wrists, you can wreck your shoulders if you go overboard, but then you can do the same with snowboarding. Uh, <laughs> so 
And in terms of age, like what you need to do is you need to acknowledge that your body might not have the same recovery functions and to the same degree as you had when you were younger. So you might need to go a bit slower. I'm certainly feeling that like I can't can't smash like when I was 25 anymore. There is there is a difference. Uh, but if you're you, but you need to then use the experience and kind of the uh, understanding of yourself that you have hopefully uh, built up so that you can make better choices. And in terms of aging hand balancers, there's several up in their 40s that are doing really well. Um, and some of the oldest guys that I've seen doing like absolutely crazy shit. Remember Ricardo Sosa? I saw him do like one arm pressing at like 50 something and Yuri Tikonovic doing like 15 one arm crocodile to one arms when he was like, I mean, he was in his mid forties then too, I think. Uh, and you'll find loads of these tanks around like in the circus community that, uh, that like particularly it seems in, in Russia and stuff, people that are in either trad circus or other yeah. things that you've never ever heard about. And possibly the craziest I've ever seen was a guy, I think he was 64 and he was performing in a, in a, a actually a contemporary circus show in France, performing on what's called a Russian bar, which is basically a death machine. Uh, <laughs> so to briefly explain a Russian bar is, uh, they use, use the same poles as for pole vaulting. They take two of them and tape them together and two people stand uh, um, opposite each other and have this bar on the shoulders. A person then stands on the bar and jumps and using the flex in the bar to jump super high and they do flips and then they land back on onto the, the bars. So it's pretty nuts and you can get pretty wrecked if you get wrecked. And the guy... <laughs> On that, yeah, he was 64. He looked like a grandpa in his face, and it looked like his upper body was made out of granite, and as if as if he was 24. Um, and he did a triple backflip uh, with no spotters on stage, which means that he's pretty solid at doing a uh, Russian bar. And he was also doing an aerial chain act where he was doing like several full twists in a row on on the chain. It was stupid. So. Things are possible to do for a reasonable amount of time, but you need to pay more attention. And not everyone is going to be able to do things like that guy did. That is definitely an outlier way below the peak of the bell curve. Yeah, I think just from my perspective, like if I think about circus artists who still have their skills for quite a long time, it comes down to two general or three generally jugglers, hand balancers, and contortionists. Now, contortionists, I suppose, like when we get into, I always have a segregation in my mind between contortionists and someone who's very flexible. Some people just have the contortionist genetics. And the ones who have the contortionist genetics, I know multiple people who are also performing handstands in their act, where they're performing up until they're 70. Are they performing 10 shows a week? No. Are they still performing basically the same act they were doing in their 30s? To a large degree, yes. Even though mm. someone's still doing a Marinelli bend at 60 or could still do it, I don't know if they're performing it, but uh, that's when you sit on your own head while biting on a pole. So it's these kind of things. So it's kind of interesting that, uh, yeah, I think handstands, it's, it, you know, if we look at it in terms of you know the good stuff going for it, you have to be using your body, you have to be holding yourself. You, there's no impact loading. There's no rapid changes of movement. So the risk of having... We don't really have contact injuries in the same way you would in sports and circus. Well, maybe you do in hand-to-hand. But the risk of having like a kind of catastrophic accident, like you could have an aerial if your equipment just goes or you slip or something like that, it's just not really there. You've got mm. basically the same risk of catastrophic injuries as uh, walking across the floor. And then if you've built up your conditioning, you know, this classic phrase of Mikhail's teacher, uh, first 10 years, was it? First 10 years, it's very, very pain. After, it's like holiday. <laughs> yeah, so if you've spent your 10 years when you're reasonably shaped, titrating up your dose and volume to the point where these things are easy, then you can maintain them for quite a long time. You know. So By the way, speak, speaking of walking across the floor, I remember when I was working for this German circus company once, uh, and... Uh, uh, this B-boy, B-boy Marcio, who is one, he, at, at the time, he was one of the best power move B-boys in the world. He was working for another show of theirs. 
and that we were going to go see. And I was like, oh, shit, I look forward to seeing him. Uh, and they said, like, oh, no, yeah, Marcio has a replacement. I was like, why? No, he dislocated his kneecap walking across stage. Like, he just, he just like, uh, he um, kicked, like, basically the, the sole of his shoe or something was really sticky. And, like, he got stuck on the floor as he was doing a step, like, kind of kicked into the floor. And his kneecap just popped off. Uh and that's like a guy that does some of the most extreme crazy shit that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. So miserable. Imagine like, yeah, you just like spin around in like craziest shapes for a living. And I just took a walk across the stage and like my, I exploded my knee. Yeah. It's very context. Don't specific. walk. It's dangerous. Yeah. Don't walk. Most injuries happen when people are walking. Don't walk. Yeah. So mm. uh, I think we are going to wrap it up there unless there's yes. anything we missed. Other than that, yeah, we have been our first things first. If you want to send us any questions, please DM them to us on Instagram on at Handstand Factory, or you can use our anchor.fm. Uh, or if you just go to our website and go to the podcast section, you'll be able to find a link to it there and send us voice questions that way. Uh, other than that, I've been Emmett, and I'm here with Cheers. Cheers. See you. The Handstand Cast is brought to you by Handstand Factory and is produced by Motion Impulse. Thanks for tuning in. You can find a full transcript of each episode, along with the show notes and any relevant references on handstandfactory.com slash podcast. Thanks to Isaac for editing and Jordan for transcriptions. Music by Daniel Horwath. If you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com or consider starting one of our Handstand Factory online programs. Links are in the show notes. <laughs>